TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Over the course of 300-plus episodes, we've been lucky enough to have some legendary musicians, singers, and songwriters join us in the studio, and occasionally out of the studio. So we decided to celebrate all those artists by putting together a special best of episode featuring some of our greatest musical moments over the last seven years with the help of our talented audio producer, John Murray. Frank and I will be introducing clips as we go along We'll do our best to remember specific moments and highlights as we bring you some of the most memorable stories behind the songs. So sit back, crank up your podcast machine, and enjoy the best of the amazing Colossal Podcast musical moments and memories. That was such a beautiful intro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one take. They call him in the business one take Gottfried. <laughs> so, Gil, yes, we are doing uh, something that we've wanted to do for a very long time. We've had a million wonderful musicians over the years, over the seven years that we've been doing this. This was actually uh, audio producer John Murray's brainstorm. John Murray doesn't have brainstorms. It's more like a light drizzle. Gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see him smiling. <laughs> He's got chloroform in a black van, Gilbert. Be very, very careful. Whenever we do these uh, these clip shows uh, or the you know these these sort of best of of shows, I feel like we should be wearing tuxes like Johnny and Ed used to do when they oh yes do the anniversary <laughs> shows. And and Doc would wear some uh, some powder blue uh, tuxedo. Anyway, let's get started with these. Uh, we think this is a fun idea for a show. And John came up with the idea, as we said, and he's the he's the one that's going to be assembling this. But we're going to start with somebody that John actually introduced us to and brought to this show, and that is our great friend Rupert Holmes. Yes. One of our favorite people, a renaissance man. And uh, uh, Rupert joined us in the old studio uh, at Nutmeg, and... Uh, uh, Gilbert was on his best behavior, waiting till he could get to the Pina Colada song, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he told us uh, he told us a story about the Pina Colada song with some information that some of you guys might not know, or if you heard the episode, might not remember. There might even be a sing along. Oh yes, there's got to be a sing along, or else I don't show up. There might be a special guest singing on this one, but the, but also uh, one of the things Rupert talks about is uh, what the song was almost about. 
uh, he's going to reveal what that was. And some of you who even heard the episode may not remember. So here is our wonderful pal, man of a thousand talents, Rupert Holmes. Uh, the story of this song has been told many, many places. It had to do with Martin and Lois. No, but it, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Rupert's, Rupert's going to tell us how it had something to do with Bogey originally. Oh, my God. Very good. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, what you have to understand is I had a track for which I had no lyric. How that happened is an entire story that we would have to do another time. We'll do it. But next but time. but um, I had it was the night before I had to record the vocal on a track with a pre-existing melody, but I had no lyric, and so I wrote a lyric at one a.m. and went to the studio uh, to sing this lyric, and the chorus went, "If you like Humphrey Bogart." And getting caught in the rain. <laughs> there you go, Gil. Original oh, lyric. Wow. And uh, th- you, you think sometimes about how your life, for better or for worse, can hinge on something you did like that. Yeah. And we've all, I'm sure, had moments where we said, if I had just gone there, I wouldn't have. And, and I've got the lyric in front of me. And I think, now this couple in the song, they're looking for an escape because the title of the song was Escape. Mm-hmm. There was no. And. Um, I said, I've done so many movie references. I just, maybe that's getting a little, you know, a little too monochromatic here. It's just, uh, so what this couple, what they want is to get away from their, the, their normal lives and, uh, and, and, and sort of as if they were on a vacation in the islands. And I thought, well, when you go on the islands and your first day of your vacation, you would never order on the beach a Budweiser. You would never say, I'll have a Budweiser. You always want to have something that demarcates the fact that you are officially on vacation. You're in the islands. So I thought, what are the escape drinks? And I thought, Mai Tai, daiquiri, (laughs) pina colada. I'd never had a pina colada in my life. And I said, let's see. If you like Humphrey Bogart, no. If you like pina coladas, I said, okay, pina coladas. And five seconds later, we rolled tape. And every time I looked at the lyric and it said, Humphrey Bogart, I sang pina coladas. And which caused me to then later add a kind of tropical instrumental break in it to make you feel like you're in the islands, which I would never have added if it had been about Humphrey Bogart. So the song eventually, the label came to me and said, you know, you've written this song about people asking for this song about pina coladas and you call the song Escape. Can we put, make it escape parenthesis, the pina colada song? And I said, compromise my artistic integrity. And they said, <laughs> they said yeah, well, it won't sell. I said, okay, it's the pina colada So... It, it just that that one switch um, changed the fate of the song. Changed everything. Yeah, and a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I want to I want to hear this sterling rendition. <laughs> This is a karaoke version. Yeah. yeah. This isn't mine. <laughs> Sorry. All right, here we go. <laughs> I apologize. Without shame. <laughs> I was tired of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. Personal columns. I'm laughing because I know what's coming up. Yeah. There was this letter I read. Take it. If you like being a colada <laughs> and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have half a brain, <laughs> He's all slow. if you like making love at midnight, pick it up, Gil. Right 
to me and escape. And in the category of song ending career, <laughs> the nominees are. Wow. <laughs> career ending songs. Career ending songs. Oh, oh Lord. Well, oh. I, it's safe to say I've, I've, it's never been that way before. And. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, now you I, know how Jimmy felt when he did Wichita Lineman. He did w- Wichita Lineman, yeah. one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Yeah, great. <laughs> oh, it's not and, anymore. You know, you, ca- you dream of these things. You dream of these opportunities. <laughs> I remember when uh, when Bud Abbott said, if you, if you ever cared about any of our films, just put a dollar in an envelope and oh. mail it to me. And... Uh, you can, you can is this reach that me. Moment? Yeah, this is that moment. <laughs> oh um, no, it's come to that. Yeah, um, oh. Gilbert. Uh, you know, I've, 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 um, I've always treasured your voice, and yes. to think that, <laughs> to think that I just put words in your mouth and yes. that you were doing my. It's, I, I, it's all been building to this. Really, he sang with Paul. He sang Rainbow Connection I'm with so, Paul. He sang Richard Tall Lineman with Jimmy. Wow. What else? What what how, what did I miss? Oh, what? Uh, oh, Don. Uh, well, oh, what did I sing? With Ron Dante, Sugar Sugar. Oh, you oh, did yes, Sugar Sugar. Yes. Oh, and a, oh, that would have been good. And I crushed a version of the locomotion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just crushed it. I'm, uh, I'm usually, I usually have something to say, but I, I have to... <laughs> I have to tell you, I never saw a guest blush this yeah, much either. Yeah, really, um, I, I, Gilbert's a hero of mine, and it's you know kind of like I don't know Mickey Mantle saying, uh, "Let me play basketball." With you. <laughs> you know, um, just, maybe you might have been better off with your chiropractor. Oh. <laughs> In retrospect, oh. that was great, Gilbert. Thank oh, you for doing that. Thank, thank you, thank you. I believe ASCAP actually gets a. I have to give them money back now. <laughs> I think I, I owe them. Uh, tell us what's coming I, up. I want to donate the royalties of this to a charity that he has just created by virtue of the damage he's done. Gil, I think one of the nicest people in show business, for my money, and one of the nicest people we've encountered and had on the show is Tony Orlando. Tony Orlando was terrific. He, like, showed up uh, in this little studio ready to do a show. Yeah, he was, he was, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I just thought he, you know, he doesn't care if it's like Madison Square Garden or the <laughs> said, two right. of us. He's putting on the best show possible. That's, that's true. A consummate professional and, uh, and, a, and a ball of energy. Yes. And, and we talked about Jerry Lewis and we talked about his old variety show and he had a million stories. You found out his dad was buried in a Jewish cemetery. That was the most important part of the interview. His, he told us. His dad <laughs> yeah. was the only non-Jew buried in this Jewish cemetery. It was fascinating. And I think Fasc- the Jews in the neighborhood called him like Ladle or something. Uh, oh, oh, gosh. Now I have to go back to the whole episode and listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all coming back to me. God, I, just, I mean, we did that one, I think, five years ago, maybe maybe six years ago. But he was the, great. Wonderful. And uh, he was trying to get you to sing on key. Uh, <laughs> It, it was futile, but at one point, and you guys will hear this clip, and this, by the way, uh, not to disappoint Gilbert, but this is not an episode of Gilbert Singalongs. We're, we're, getting, we're, we're, we're getting those out of the way up front. Um, 
but this is uh, like the like the Pina Colada song that you just heard. Uh, this is a great one, and uh, Dara and I even joined in on this one. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was all hands on deck. His songs are so much fun; you can't help it. So this is uh, former Brill Building door to door song salesman Tony Orlando. Well, you know, with tie yellow ribbon, you you had some there were some complaints about that song, and I think the chief complaint was that uh, Gilbert Gottfried wasn't singing it in duet with you. Oh, you heard about that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that really got to you? Yeah, isn't, yeah. Isn't and, that, and was I that think, in the Inquirer or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you hear that story? So, I so, didn't think it'd get to you at so, all. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, they, they've tried to keep it hidden. <laughs> he says to me, he's, why? I got I, I to share something with you, Tony. He says, uh, well, I don't know if I hope Tony will sing with me. He says, maybe you should print the lyrics out uh, just in case yeah. he doesn't remember them. I said, I have a feeling he remembers them. Are you familiar with Tie Yellow Ribbon? I, I think so. Okay. <clears throat> Are we ready? You want to sing it with me? Yes. Wait a minute. What to do? Hurry! If you still want me? Get to it! If you still want oh, I'm, me? I'm so impressed. Tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. It's, it's been, been three long years. Do, do you still let me want sing for a minute? <laughs> if I don't see a ribbon round the old oak tree, I'll stay on the bus. Forget about us. Put the blame I on know me. why she married you. She sings like you too. <laughs> the yellow ribbon round the old old tree. The hand for Gilbert. Yes, yes sir. Yes. This was a first oh. show business. Oh, oh, that. <laughs> wow, that's you, Gil. That yeah. was Dara singing it. Yeah. <laughs> It's not quite tell me. You know, Joyce. I haven't had more fun. Oh. I'm 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 gonna tell you something, and I mean it. This is the same thing I told Dick Van Dyke. He sang after Dick Van Dyke. I sang two duets with him, put on a happy face right. and super califragilistic. Oh, that must have been something. Yes, and I'm telling you the same thing I told Dick Van Dyke. I think I just came. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, it's easy for him, huh? <laughs> She's jumping up and down. She's literally jumping up and down. Well, I have a new nickname for him, if that's the case. We're calling him Sir Speedy from now on. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was the only time that I actually got to sing on the show. Not that anybody could hear me over Gilbert's. <laughs> Dulcet tones, but uh, God, that was a fun episode. That was that one was pure joy to do. Um, Gilbert, what are your favorite people? And one of our favorite guests, moving from uh, Nutmeg to Earwolf, was Neil Sedaka. Yeah, I remember 
I was during the whole show. I'm sitting across the table from him and thinking, I'm getting my own personal Neil Sedaka concert. It was. It really was. And I had seen him in concert the night before at Westbury Music Fair. And when he got up and did a certain song at the concert, I turned to my wife and I said, Gilbert, Gilbert will go nuts. And Frank was at the concert. It was wonderful. And he told me, so, and I hadn't said anything to Frank about this. When when you heard the song and what did you what was your reaction? You know he's talked. We've we've what have we had two hundred and sixty guests on yeah. the show. He's brought up my Yiddish mama probably ten times with ten different guests. Yeah. Who was it? Jessel what? that used to uh, sing uh, it. Yeah. My Yiddish mama. <laughs> you heard his Jessel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Sophie Tucker. I did a Yiddish album called Neil Sedaka sings Brighton Beach Memories. And I did it, my Yiddish mama. Es gibt nicht besser in der Welt. A Yiddish mama. Oi, baby, bittet, wenn sie fällt. Wie schön und lichtig is in heiß, wenn die Mamas do. Wie treurig finster wird, wenn Gott. It's a gorgeous song. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's a gorgeous song. He's brought it up 20 times. I wish I wrote it. Now we got a live version. Not a dry eye in the house, Gilbert, when he did my Yiddish. I was frozen when he was saying that. I really was. He should have cut it as a single. We have a little bit more with the great Neil Sedaka here. We also talked about one of his hits, Calendar Girl. When we are having Neil Sedaka, I'm in the studio thinking, I'm going to be here with this musical legend. And the door opens up and in walks in like every old Jewish relative. (laughs) He's like, oh, Gilbert, I'm so happy to be doing the show. <laughs> a lovely guy. He's just one of those guys that was, you know, it was it was a thrill to meet him. And as you say, there wasn't any pretense to him whatsoever. No, just just like a guy from the neighborhood. Yes, with both of us being from Brooklyn, uh, guys we grew up around. Yeah. Anyway, here's here's a little bit of of Calendar Girl and a fun little tale that goes with. It. I have to share with our listeners, Neil, too, that I was saying before, my wife and I saw you Sunday night at Westbury Music Fair. You were wonderful. Thank you. But, you, but when you played Calendar Girl and you took a break, you left the stage for a minute, you put up that wonderful video, which is possibly the first music video. Yes. Of you in all of those changing outfits. You're like Cher, by the way. You changed outfits about 12 <laughs> times I know. in that video. Did your mom really compare you to Cary Grant? Or yes. Did you just speak for- <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> and the story is true. I was having lunch in Los Angeles, uh, and this gal walked up to me and said, I was Miss January in your video. This is just a few months ago. And I said, oh, really? And uh, she said, yes. I said, I said to the audience, she was an old, she looked like an old, old woman, an old, old woman, but I looked the same. (laughs) (laughs) Can you play a little bit more of Calendar Girl for us? Can we put you... I love, I love, I love my calendar girl each and every day of the year. January, you start the year off five. You're my little Valentine. 
I'm going to march you down the aisle. You're the Easter Bunny when you smile. Yeah, yeah, my heart's in a whirl. Love, I love, I love my little calendar girl every day. And so on and so on and wow, so on. Wow, wonderful. Wow. Gil, if you remember from that night, obviously we had a keyboard in front of Neil. In, in the studio at Earwolf. It was just a big butcher block table with a, with a keyboard that we, we plopped down in front of him. And he did My Yiddish Mama to make Gilbert happy. Uh, the, 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 the conversation eventually got around to how much the Beatles were influenced by Brill Building songwriters. Neil, too. Um, uh, Neil among them. And uh, I don't know how many people know that he wrote a song about and for John Lennon. And, and the story that was coming out was that... There were American singers like Neil Sedaka who, who yeah. were like kicked out when the English invasion was coming. It was like, oh, we don't need them. We've got the English invasion. And yet the people of the English invasion, like the Beatles, were thrilled to meet these American singers, songwriters. That was the, the the cruel twist of it, is that they knocked a lot of these guys off the charts, but they worshipped them. Yeah. And years later, you know, McCartney and Elton and, and a lot of other people befriended Neil. And, you know, he was vindicated in a way because he found out they were all Sadaka fans. Yeah. And it, it's so funny because they came over and this country said, oh, we've had enough of them. And yet to the uh, English invasion, they were thrilled. All, all of them influenced by, uh, by Brill Building songwriters to some extent. But here's a good story that Neil told us about writing this song uh, inspired by John Lennon, what he was going through at the time. A song called The Immigrant. So, so you had dealings with the Beatles later on. Uh, later on, we had parties. Elton had parties for us, and uh, Paul McCartney was there, John Lennon. And I wrote a song dedicated to John Lennon called The Immigrant. Oh, which Which uh, was a top uh, 20 hit. And uh, it's strange. I wrote it with Phil Cody in 1976, and it, it's more relevant today I was say. than it has ever been. It really C is. Can, can I bother you for that? Oh, it's beautiful. Harbors open their arms to the young searching foreigner. Come to live in the light of the beacon of liberty. The chorus is, there was a time when strangers were welcome here. Music would play, they tell me the days were sweet. Sweet and clear. It was a sweeter tune, and there was so much room that people could come from everywhere. It became it's really on this wonderful DVD. Yes, the show goes on. Yeah, John was flattered that you that you. Uh, yes, that we, you we were on WNEW. We 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 did an interview together. He said people always called me to say for a fa ask for a favor, and he said Neil Sedaka, you called me and said you dedicated a song to me. He was having trouble getting a green card because of the the drugs. Sure. I remember those days too. I remember when EJ the DJ, when Elton would would uh, would DJ on local stations, mm -hmm. and he play, he played the hell out of your records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Good stuff. Yes, we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Speaking of the Beatles, and you know I love to do segues, yeah. tidy segues. <laughs> on this we had early on in the run, and this is way back at Nutmeg, we had the very funny 
Mark Hudson of the Hudson Brothers. Yes. Mark Hudson was one of those guests. Uh, we were in an, I was in another room, and he walks in. Oh, we were in the kitchen. Yeah, we were in the kitchen. Yeah. Mark right. Hudson walks in and, like, does an hour of stuff before <laughs> the mic is even on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't even say hello. No. He wa- or introduce himself. He walked into the kitchen and, and launched into a Joey Heatherton story. Yes. A- amazing. Amazing. Followed by share stories and all, uh, all. I mean, he was just he was just shot out of a cannon. Really funny guy. And and he does a great share imitation. Too. He does. He dated share for a while, but he has a Beatles story, too. He was in Ringo Starr's uh, all star band for a while and recorded with Ringo, too. And so the Hudson Brothers had a hit called uh, So You Are a Star. Uh, which was based on uh, the real life of his brother, Bill Hudson. Bill Hudson falling in love with Goldie Hawn. And uh, there's a little Beatle influence here that he talks about as well. So uh, check out part of our interview with uh, the very funny, and we need to have him back, Yeah, Mark Hudson. And so when does, uh, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to move gradually through this, and when, when does, was, So You Are a Star... Was before so the you TV are star, show. So you, yeah, it was, and so you are star was Casablanca, which was Neil Bogart. Uh huh. And in that, in the early seventies, the accent Kiss, Donna Summer, Parliament, the Hudson Brothers, and we were like the first band on that thing. And that was just like what you think: satin jackets, cocaine. It was, it was, all of that kind of stuff. And so you are star. When when Bill, like, was having a crush on Goldie, he was like so over the moon about it that i it, you know me and my own john lennon-ness i i wrote this so you are a star we happen to have a guitar hand well, it's a it's a pretend one but that's okay so you are a star okay nobody knows you like i do you've got to love only me very beatly you got to feel Nobody shows you the way that I do. Very beatily. Neil Bogart flipped for it and said, that's great. Let's make it a single. And it was the demo. So it wasn't really like we went in like professionals. It was when I wrote the song, we went into the studio one night and put it down and it became a top 20 record. Now, the big joke is cut to 30 years later. I'm producing Ringo and we're mixing his album uh, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd on his houseboat. And I'm back there at the piano, and so you are a star. And Ringo goes, hey, Mark, that's very beautifully. And I went, yeah, I know, that's what all the reviews said. Like, Rolling Stones said the best kinetic pop since the Beatles, and this huge compliment. And he goes, let's do it for your mom. So I have a version now that's on my solo album of me doing So You Are a Star with Ringo Starr. That's great. Playing the drums when it was Beatle-influenced. I mean, it goes to show you how the circle goes. You know, it's like... You were trying to sound like John? No, you know oh. what? It's interesting because Ringo got mad at me once. I was singing background on one of his records. He goes, Mark, stop sounding like John, you bastard. I said, I can't. I'm just sounding like me. The fact <laughs> right. that it, it is, I'm, I'm sorry. So... I keep singing because it's the only thing I know. Either I go, when I sing high, it's more McCartney. When I'm lower, it's more Lennon. It's just my influence and what I am. By the way, I have to say that Mark Hudson does one of my favorite Ringo Starr impressions. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right right on the... That was great. Here's a guy influenced by the Beatles as well. 
I'm doing these segues. Yeah. John is laughing. Dennis DeYoung. Now, Dennis DeYoung was a recent show. We were not in the studio. This is a COVID episode. We had to record it during lockdown. Dennis was in his den in Chicago. And he got to uh, talking about two of the big hits, the mega hits that he wrote and performed for Styx. Do you remember, Gilbert? Oh, babe. Oh, how, oh, how does babe go again? Oh, man. Babe, I'm leaving. Oh. I'm on my way. Oh, that's it. Okay. Okay. That's now it. I remember. Yeah, the one he wrote for his wife. What is really impressive about Dennis is is what good voice he's in for a man of 73. Uh, uh, and how and how he hits those high notes. A bunch of our singers amaze me that way. I mean, yeah. there are some singers you see, see on TV younger than they are, and their voice is gone. And some of the singers we've had on there... They're really in advanced years, and their voices are terrific. I would say that about you as a singer. You haven't lost a step. <laughs> so check out this double feature, if you will, back-to-back songs from the great Dennis DeYoung. Um, before I lose my voice... Delightful. So that was the first song I ever wrote and sang by myself on a record, and I wrote it. Um, I wrote it about my wife. So I've had a lot of luck writing songs about my relationship with my wife, and uh, and she's only taken seventy percent off the back end. That's, all. <laughs> That's very generous of her. Yeah. Was that the first one you heard played on the radio? Was there a moment? We we asked the musicians that have been on the show, Dennis. That that moment well, where there it is. I heard um, one of our first songs on the first album and played a little bit on a radio station that didn't matter. But you have to understand, WLS was the most powerful radio station in America, located in the center of the country, 50,000 Clearwatt Channel, broadcasted, uh, you know, from, uh, from Denver all the way to uh, Little Rock. So to get on that station, it was a miracle. So when he told me that, I went home. We're in this little house that we lived in, my wife and I, <clears throat> and 
eight o'clock, we, there was a little radio on top of the refrigerator. We thought this can't possibly happen. And it came on and it was, I'm get, I just got the chills right now thinking about that moment. Oh, and nice. um, we, we danced in the kitchen right there, a little kitchen, not really an eat-in kitchen. And anytime something good happens, we have to run to a kitchen and dance. It's just like a tradition that we, you know, because it was like, man. Now, another song we could thank your wife for is Babe. Yes. Uh, the story goes like this. Uh, it was her birthday, 1979. Uh, she supported me. I thought, I'll write her a song. But is your is your wife listening? <laughs> uh, She's right next was, to us. Yeah, I was just trying to get I was just trying to get out of buying jewelry. <laughs> anyway, uh, so <clears throat> so I sat down and I wrote this song and I called up the Panazos. I said, "You guys do a demo with me. I want to give this to her and play it play her at a birthday party and nothing else. Was not for sticks." So <clears throat> they said, yeah, we go, uh, we do the demo. No guitar players are there, so we don't put any guitars on it. Um, and I sing all the background harmony parts. Nobody's going to hear it. It's not, who gives a shit? Nobody's going to hear it. <clears throat> in fact, I wrote it. I wrote it on the grand piano. We got in there. The grand piano was out of tune. So there was a Fender Rhodes in the corner and and Bobby Whiteside, I'm, I don't know who that is, but it was his. They rolled it out. I'd never played one. And I went, you know, where? I just started noodling and then rolling tape. So I did it. I, I gave it to my wife. Everyone at the party went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That doesn't suck as much as we thought it would. <laughs> so uh, people started saying, we love this song. We love it. It was just for her, not for nobody. And... Um, the demo became the song you've heard on the radio for 40 years. I, the, all those harmonies are me singing by myself. We were so afraid to change that record. All we did was Tommy Shaw came in and played a guitar solo. That's the record. So that's why there's no guitars on it. Uh, otherwise, if I'd have brought it to Sticks, we'd have sat in the room and recorded it much differently. And so it was just dumb. You know the best kind of luck. Dumb, stupid. And that's what that was. So it was for for her... And it went on uh, to win the, the People's Choice Award for Best Song, which was pretty cool. How, how, how different would it have been if it had been a stick song? Would it have been a power ballad? Y yes, it would have been more guitar driven. And, um, you know, I, and, and it would have cost more to have to pay the guitar players. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. There we go, you ready? Babe, I'm leaving. I must be on my way.
Now, Gil, back in the nutmeg days, you know, one of the things we love to talk about on this show is the mob. Yes. Yes. And the mob's influence on show business. Now, maybe you'll 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 get ahead of me and see where I'm I, going. Here. I I know who. Uh, oh fuck, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> The, the something and something, what was his name? Fuck it. <laughs> See, this is, why you, this is why I should send you the outline before the show. I, I know. Tommy James and the Shondells, his, he wrote a book about it. Yeah, great book. And his memories of the mob were amazing. Yeah, Roulette Records, which Tommy was on by, was owned by the infamous Morris Levy. They ruled with an iron fist. And he said Morris Levy around his office would have baseball bats ready to bash someone's skull in at any point. Yeah, Capone-esque. Uh, if, if you guys, uh, if you guys like mob history, or I- even if you want to read a great book about rock and roll, uh, pick up Tommy's book. And, and he tells a story. It's wild. In the book about they caught some guy who was like, um, putting out copies, his own copies of the, mm-hmm. their songs. And he came over with a baseball bat, smashed all his machines, and he's and the guy's crying. He goes, I- "I'm just doing this because my son's in the hospital. He needs an operation." And Morris Levy, a killer and a gangster, says, "Okay, we're going over there now. He better be in the hospital, or you're in trouble." They found out he was in the hospital, and Morris Levy says to the doctor, how much is this operation going to cost? And he tells him, and Levy takes out a checkbook and writes out the full amount for the uh, operation. A ruthless killer, a sadistic killer with a heart of gold. Yeah, I that that part of the book I loved. That was uh, <laughs> that. If you yeah. saw that in a movie, you'd say, "Oh, they made this up for the movie." But Tom, Tommy's book is a great read, and it's filled with stories like that. And uh, and the the story of of Roulette Records needs to be a movie. But you did a sing along with Tommy. Uh, to your disappointment, we're not going to play that one. Ah. We're, we're not going to play I Think We're Alone Now, but we, uh, Tommy did a solo song. He had the audacity to do a song without Gilbert, and that was Tommy's hit, Crystal Blue Persuasion. And oh. he's got a, f- a fun little story about how that one came about, too. So, so, so you won't complain. I think we're alone now. It doesn't <laughs> seem to be anyone around. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, here is Thomas Gregory Jackson, also known as Tommy James. What else did you guys prepare to 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 play? And I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep Gilbert out of this one for, the, medley, good of, <laughs> for the good of music. <laughs> a medley of my cowboy hits, wasn't it? No. no. <laughs> Look over yonder What do you see? The sun is rising Most definitely And a new day is coming People 
Sounded great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It, it was missing me. But still. <laughs> Considering. I told you, you get a tambourine, you got a yeah. gig. <laughs> How did that song come together, Tom? Well, because uh, it was a big departure. Yeah, you. it was one of those songs that uh, just kind of happened by accident. There was a, we were playing at college in um, Atlanta. And a kid came up to me with a poem called Crystal Persuasion. And I went, whoa. And we were always on the make for neat titles or neat hooks, something. And I looked at it. I thought that was such a great combination of words. It had nothing to do with the song, the end of the song. Uh, so we went back to the room and Mike and Eddie and I wrote the song uh, in about 20 minutes. And Eddie came up with the just a little line like that. And um, it was really taken lyrically from the book of Revelation in the Bible. And then um, we went in the studio and produced it, and we just totally overproduced it. It was, I never have ruined a record like I ruined Crystal Blue Persuasion. And I went in, and, and, and we had guitars, and we had a full set of drums. And, and we, I just remember looking at the engineer, I said, this is not the song. And so we spent the next two weeks unproducing it, pulling everything out. And uh, when it ended up uh, uh, finished, it was nothing but a conga drum, a flamenco guitar, 
uh, a little rhythm guitar with the tremolo on it, and an organ, no drums, nothing. And so we had to empty it out and let it breathe to be crystal blue. Great. It's one of my favorites. Thank you. You know, it's great, too. You, you, you always feel guilty when it's just the two of us, Gilbert, when somebody brings a guitar and pours their heart out and sings the song, and then you and I become the sound of two people clapping. Yes. And it always sounds, on the podcast, it always sounds ridiculous to hear two people clapping. It, it's like kind of like I think they did that at the end of Laughing. Yeah, right. They would be like one clap. (laughs) That's that's all we can generate as two people. But we we are genuinely thrilled uh, when these people uh, play for us and when they they bring uh, an instrument with them. They're amazing moments. Yeah. Here's an amazing moment, I think, with a borrowed guitar. I think if if memory serves, and um, this is an actor slash singer, uh, something a little bit uh, different. And I, as memory serves, I, I don't think he showed up with, with his own guitar. Frankie Verderosa had a guitar in Nutme- uh, sitting around in Nutmeg, and I think he picked up... Were you there that night, John? No, I wasn't there that night. I remember the episode well. I think he picked up the, the guitar. It was an electric guitar. He was playing a Gibson SG, real nice wood. Beautiful guitar. Yeah, and he played... Uh, and we weren't expecting this at all. This was a this was a pleasant surprise. And Gilbert, I'm I, I can see by the puzzled look on your face. I'm, refer, <laughs> I'm referring to Uncle Junior from The Sopranos, Dominic Chianese. Oh my God, he was terrific. Remember? And I I asked him if he could sing, um, "Brother, Can You Spare a Dime?" And he did an amazing version of that. And we just happened to have it with us. Yes. This is one of my favorite moments in the history of this podcast. Uh, Dominic, Uncle Junior, yes, interpreting Yip Harburg. Can can I put you on the spot and ask you to sing a little bit of Brother? Can you spare a dime? Sure, yeah. So here's the guitar. Yeah, why not? Now this is a wonderful song. You know, the, the word, you know who wrote the words to this was uh, uh, Yip Harburg. Oh, Yip Harburg. Yeah, also over the did, rainbow. Over the rainbow. Yeah. Once I built a railroad, I made it run. I made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower to the sun. Brick and rivet and lime Once I built a tower Now it's done Brother, can you spare a dime? Once in khaki suits, gee, we look swell Full of that Yankee doodle-dum Half a million boots Went slogging through hell I was a kid with a drum Say, don't you remember They called me Al It was Al all the time Say, don't you remember I'm your pal 
brother, can you spare a dime? Fantastic. That was a treat. Yeah, Parberg wrote those lyrics. Thank you, yeah, Dominic. That was, that was one of the, the great songs to come out of the Depression. Exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. And I remember the Depression, you know, back in the 30s. My sister and I would put little nickels and pennies in the paper and throw it down a fire escape because there'd always be somebody down in the buildings in the Bronx. You know, so there were trumpeters and guys with accordions trying to earn a living. You know, they, they didn't beg. They just sang. They tried to make that. That nickel brought them, you know, got them a cup of coffee at least, probably a sandwich in those days. So I remember the, the Depression. You know, I hear that song, Gilbert, and it's it, it, it it's a heartbreaking song. It really is. I mean, it's from the Depression. Uh, and the way he sings it was just yeah. great. Yeah, he really felt it. That's a great episode. I mean, again, that was fairly early in the run for us. Um, I think one of the first shows with Verderosa when we when we got into Nutmeg, but I, I I I thought that was a fantastic episode in so many ways. Yes, and he sang an Italian song too. Uh, but that version of Brother, can you spare a dime? Tore my heart out. Yeah, chilling. Here's a complete change of direction, and I know this was one of your favorite guests, Eddie Erwolf, uh, because he sang a couple of medleys for us, and that was our friend Charlie Fox. Oh, my God. Charles Fox. Charlie Fox. There's a, uh, basically a tits and ass teen comedy with Scott Baio called Oh, you don't Zapped. say. What's it called? Uh, Zapped. <laughs> oh, yes, Zapped. I remember now. And I loved the music. I always loved the music yeah. uh, in that movie. And and I then I found out we're having the guy who composed that was like having Beethoven. So the fact that he wrote beautiful melodies like "Killing Me Softly" with with his song means nothing to you. You're just into you just want to hear the songs from Zapped. Yeah, we're the king and queen of hearts. Hold me when the music starts with the lights down low. Never let you go. What do you think, John? Like I said, he has his voice hasn't changed a bit. I'm a fan. <laughs> How many singers have have come on this show and said Gilbert sings in perfect pitch? Take me to your oh, take me to your heart. Show me where to start. Let me be the star of your first love. Yeah. He uh, and then he did a medley of all the uh, TV tunes. Hmm, we just might have it. Uh, yeah, that that was amazing. Now, do people need to see Zapped, or can they just get the album? <laughs> well, you gotta have the full. You you gotta have the artificial uh -huh. artificial tits right. of Heather Thomas. I see. She already had a great pair of man-made uh, boobs, and yet in the movie they have the most obvious stand-in, this headless body that appears. Uh-huh. So, so if I'm a Scott, a cinema of Scott Baio completist, I have to see yes. Zapped, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and, and the song... 
that I remembered and he didn't right. uh, was the closing song of um, uh, of Zapped. And I said it to him and he said, I don't remember doing that. And then he said he went home and asked his son and the son said, yes, you did write that. I song. love it. I love it. He was very amused by you and how much you, you remembered songs that he was trying to forget. Yes. <laughs> and oh. he said that uh, me, uh, one of those songs, I think, Gotta Believe in Magic. Yeah. That me and the people of the Philippines. Oh, yeah. He's were, huge in the Philippines. Yeah. Love that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, and, he's, he's gigantic in Manila. Yeah. And I remember when you first asked him, will you come on the show and sing some song? And he said, I'll only do it if Gilbert doesn't sing. Well, he was a holdout for a while. Yeah, yeah, he and and it was great. He was like, uh, he would like play the p, you know, the keyboard for me, and nod his head when it was time for me to jump in. It was, well, we got two medleys. John came up with because uh, John John went through the whole archive, and thank you, John, again, and Cherry picked these these wonderful pieces, and. Charlie did two medleys for us. He did a, a, a commercial medley, or at least he he played one of his uh, one of his jingles, or perhaps I think it was a jingle he arranged. But we loved it, and uh, then he treated us to his primetime medley. So we're yes. going to play both of those clips back to back. And uh, a versatile artist, a great composer, a guy who's and he also wrote. We can't forget that he also wrote "Ready to Take a Chance Again," which Gilbert yes, loves. and he let me sing that one, and that was great. Yes, great. We'll do. We'll down the road. We'll do another montage episode of just all Gilbert singalongs. <laughs> if if people can take it, and uh, this is a couple of quick medleys with uh, the wonderful versatile. Charles Fox. I love your career at that point, too, because you're bouncing around and you're doing so many interesting things. You did commercials. You did those Park, the Parker Brothers commercials. I did a lot of commercials, you, yeah. yeah. and the uh, White Owl Cigars. When the values go up, 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 and the prices go down, 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 Robin Hall in season will show you the reason. Low overhead, low overhead. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh, man. I think I'm going to regret this hour. Hilarious. <laughs> well, our, our listeners are going to eat this up. Are, are there any other famous ones like that? You remember the White Owl cigars? You know what? I have to confession. Honest, I, I didn't write that song. I only arranged it. Oh. You arranged it. But I arranged it a hundred different ways. And we had uh, the... Dun, 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 Christmas thing. I don't know. Remember, we I, I did all the commercials. See, I I promise I won't sing these t- songs. It's but too if we late for hear... that promise. We, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're late, but beyond that, <laughs> if we could hear a snippet of, of some of these great, like love <clears throat> American style, love, 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 love American style, truer than the red, white, and blue. American style. That's me and you. And then Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. Saturday, what a day. Rocking all week with you. And give us any chance, we'll take it. Read us any rule or break it. We're gonna make our dreams come true. Wonder Woman. 
Wonder Woman. My God! I love the way they just go right flow right into well, each other. Well, I did that. Yeah. It doesn't usually, you know. It's, it's, actually, oh I, I, I didn't sing the love, but I just said the word. But anyway, fantastic. <laughs> was great. Now, now, Gilbert. Oh, Don. Oh, Don, is Don on the phone? Were you doing Benny or Jack ne- or Frank Nelson? Uh-oh. Our, our friend John Fodiatis, who's probably listening to this because he never misses one, is obsessed with Frank Nelson. So give him a little Frank Nelson. Oh, it's you again. Beautiful. <laughs> Frank Nelson interlude. Uh, back to the task at hand. I was talking about musicians who were kind enough to come in with their own uh, instruments. John, I believe you were there on this particular night. Oh, you're talking about Kenny. I'm talking about Kenny Loggins. Uh, I, I befriended Michael Jensen and Ryan Romanesco, who work with Kenny, and they said, hey, how about Kenny Loggins for the show? And I said, oh, the first thing that popped into my mind was Gilbert singing Footloose. Yes, yes. And it happened. No way that wasn't going to happen. It happened. Uh, I think you also, did you also do the theme from Caddyshack with him? Or did he might have done that one? He might have done that one by himself. Yeah, but he, I, I, I definitely did Footloose. I, you definitely did. He did, I think, four or five numbers for us. He showed up with a friend of his, a gentleman named Rick Cowling who we also have to thank. It's nice when the, everything just kind of gels, when, when musicians walk into the room and you can see they're into it and they're into the show, and they're, they're happy to be playing these songs. You know, we always feel like we're imposing on them. We always say things like, can we impose upon you to play this song? Or could we trouble you? Yeah, it's, it's always like, okay, you're probably tired of hearing this, but... Uh, yeah, you, you, you don't want to go to a party and have somebody say, Gilbert, could you do the Ben Gazar a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Which I get all the time. Of course you do. <laughs> could you entertain us? But, you know, we needn't worry uh, with some of these people. Neil was thrilled to play... Uh, Charles Fox was thrilled to play, and uh, Kenny Loggins put, put so much effort into it. I mean, he, he, I think they flew Rick in just for the podcast, which I, I, I couldn't believe. Yes. So, so our hats are off to Ryan Romanesco and, and Michael Jensen for making this happen. And Kenny's been a, a, a favorite of mine my whole life, going back to the Loggins and Messina albums. And so it was a pinch, pinch yourself kind of night. John Murray was there. I think we dedicated a song to your sister. Yes, you did. And I got to hang out with the guys afterwards. Yeah. We were talking guitars backstage, and I got to share some of my favorite guitars with them. That was that was a real treat. That was a great night for me, yeah. Yeah, he was a great guest. He was. I'm so glad. It was a magical night. It really was. He did a couple of songs. I think he did four or five. We're going to narrow it down to two. One of Kenny's big hits. Danny's song, which Gilbert requested. Here's a version of that, followed by a a song from later in Kenny's career called Conviction of the Heart, which is a song with an environmental message, and he talks about both songs. So, again, one of my favorite moments. I know I keep saying that, but the the great Kenny Loggins. And and before we get too late out of it, I have to ask you to do some of Danny's song. Oh, okay. As long as you're on the subject. Well, does anybody have a guitar? <laughs> Here, you can use mine. You know we. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got it. Get one. All right, huh? I'm there not you go. sure that these guitars. Let me see if I do this and sing <clears throat> down a little. It might work. That should work. 
Is it? It is? Oh, good. They got it. Got it. People smile and tell me I'm the lucky one. And we've just begun. Think I'm gonna have a son. You'll be like she and me, as free as a dove. Conceived in love. Sun is gonna shine above. Fantastic. The, ly- you, the lyrics note are... gets higher. What's that? Every, every year. <laughs> it gets a little higher? No, 
<laughs> Something I don't know that they're changing pitch on me. The, 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 there was a letter that you that you sent to your brother, and no, the, a letter the, I got from my brother. And the lyrics so were lifted some, right out of the some letter. Some of the lyrics were beautiful, pulled right out of the letter. Beautiful. Was this the same brother whose guitar you you mm-hmm. you snatched down from the? <laughs> oh, so you more than made it up to him. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> How did this song get to to Anne Murray? Kenny, because she does. She a, took it uh, off the off the first Loggins and Messina she did. record. She did a lovely version of it. Yeah, she did a great version of it, and and then um, uh, I wrote a song called Love Song. Right. And um, and so I took it right to her. Then at that point, I had met her and you know showed her some stuff. And then when um, when uh, the I was vindicated with Love Song because because Jimmy uh, Jimmy didn't like it. <laughs> he didn't want Love Song on Messina. the second. Re- yeah. Really? <laughs> he didn't want it on the second album. And uh, so um, then when she loved it and she turned it into a hit, and I said, I think we should put it on the record. Oh, well, you, yeah. <laughs> you were vindicated. Uh, yeah. Wonderful piece of music. This is um, a song that has been called uh, Environmental Anthem. Um, I got asked to rewrite the lyrics to this to make it more on point for for as an environmental anthem and i said no it's it's done it's not need it doesn't need to be rewritten because the environmental movement is not a it should not be a finger pointing movement about you do this and you do that except that for me the the issue is uh, a spiritual one it's it's our it's each individual's awareness of his connection to each other and to the planet. And so Conviction of the Heart becomes a song about someone who wakes up from his sense of aloneness and gets that we're all in this together. that we once had This is the time to bring them back What were the promises Caught on the tips of our tongues Do we forget or forget There's a whole other life Waiting to be Such is the path I chose Doors I have opened and closed I'm tired of living this life Fooling myself Believing we're right when I'd never given love With any conviction of Heart will be 
of taking now Isn't it time to stop somehow Air that's too angry to breathe Water our children can't drink You've heard it hundreds of times You say you're aware Believe and you care <laughs> Thank you, Gilbert. I appreciate it. <laughs> Here we go. One with the earth, with the sky, one with everything in life. I believe it will stop. Applause in that room. Look at that. All we got right. a standing ovation in, this, in the control room. We ran you. out of chairs. It looks beautiful. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Is that I, I heard you say some good songs come to you in dreams. Mm. Was that was that one? That was well the the germ of it. Guy and I, Guy Thomas and I wrote uh, that song, and. The the verses and the, the whole um, down your streets, I walked alone, all that stuff we wrote in the afternoon, called it a night, had dinner, I, I went to bed and I dreamed the chorus, the one with the earth, with the sky. I woke up with that melody in my head. It's amazing to me. And I said, I went to him and I said, I don't know why, but this belongs in that song. So it took me a few years to actually understand what the connection of that refrain was to that song so it'll so sometimes you'll dream pieces and then the pieces won't fit into the puzzle until well down the line well at least as far as understanding but i right. know the music of it right the music of it belongs belong together how do you retain it who who, who can who can remember this stuff I've, when they wake up i've taught myself to do that that's, that's i incredible. i remember i have usually a melody every morning and i and then i can assess whether it's worth recording or not wow you have a little handheld thing. Yeah, well, I have my. I had cassettes back in the day, but now I have my iPhone. Just yeah, use right. the memos. Will you wake up in the middle of the night and just 
put it right if into it's the... good, yeah, I'll lay there and I will actually think, is this good enough to, to put down? Because I know I have to I have to set the pitch. I have to say, you know, I'll, I'll sing the triad so I know what key it's in. I tell myself what beat the song starts on because when you listen a few days later, you don't know if I'm if you're singing the downbeat or what it is. Yeah, it's hard so to get I, back into that. Same I lay place. the I lay the groove down and I'm playing the groove while I'm singing it. I know what key it's in, and then if I hear harmonic things to it, chord changes, I have to lay those in to outline what the harmonic changes would be. And fascinating. It's a lot of work. Early and I always world. heard. <laughs> <about it. laughs> Like so I really, I have to be motivated. I have to believe it's a really good song, or I'm sure, not going to wake myself up. And I, I always heard that like musicians have what they call the dummy lyrics. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, most of my songs keep those. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the famous story of uh, McCartney's Yesterday, right? Oh, scrambled, scrambled eggs. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, but celebrate me home. I thought was my dummy dummy lyric because I didn't, I didn't think it made any sense. And 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 then when I showed it to Phil Ramone in New York, he goes, "Yeah, that's what the brothers would say." Celebrate me home. Celebrate me home. Okay. Hey Gil, I can see by the look on your face, you're <laughs> thinking, "Okay, but did they include my pal John Davidson in this musical montage?" John Davidson. Uh, my wife asked him, like, uh, she would see there was a, a club that he would play at in the Berkshires. And she went up to him like about 50 times each time he said no. Yeah. I think Davidson thought we're going to have him on and rip him to shreds. And he doesn't, a lot of our guests don't realize we, we want to honor all of our guests. Well, I wonder if one of us has that reputation, because it isn't me. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> why would they be afraid, pray tell? <laughs> and he he enjoyed it so much, he sent us messages saying that uh, that was the, one of the most fun times he's ever had. And he invited us to a show that he did. He was he was great. He was he was wonderful for so many reasons, but it, it brings up an interesting point, which is that when we started this show, uh, Gilbert's history on shows like the Stern Show preceded him a little bit, <laughs> and th- there was some uh, some guests were tentative, not realizing that the show was going to be an all out tribute. I think you radically changed your image with this show, Gilbert. People people learned that you were a super fan of of show, of show business and and uh, and great performers. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we both want to honor these people that were such great influences. That's been the uh, the intention of this show from day one. But for whatever reason, John kept turning down Dara, and it became a running joke. I'd say, how are things with John Davidson? Uh, he said he'd rather listen to the show than be on it. Wasn't that it, Dara? <laughs> something said, yeah, was something like, we got 50, 50 or 60 very polite different versions of turndowns. So our pal, audio producer John Murray, picks some songs out of the John Davidson episode, and John talks a little bit about different things. He, uh, he was doing a live show in Manhattan at the time, and uh, these were some of the, some of the selections. People forget you, rec- you put out 15 albums. Yeah. 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 Recorded a lot of music. Yeah, and and still am. You know, I still do shows with my guitar and telling jokes, yeah. and I and just put out a new album. So, what can people expect when they come to Birdland on the twenty seventh? 
Well, um, what I, are they going to uh, see? I open, I open with this. No, I open with this. <laughs> <laughs> if my song can raise your spirits, if my song can make you dance, if my song can make you dare enough to chance some new romance, if my song can make you reminisce of some sweet day gone by. Then let me be your songbird And soon your soul will fly I'm standing on the corner Of nothing and nowhere And uh, it, it basically, it's a busker singing on the corner Just realizing that at this point in my life I'm nowhere And it's the confusion of trying to figure out life What do you do with your life? And I'm developing a pilot for a TV show. Tell us about that. That yeah, Gill is Gill is one one of my celebrity guests. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gill and Penn Jillette, my two guests. Can't wait. And uh, the whole idea is, what's next? The show's called What's Next. What do you do with yourself in your 60s? Now I know what Gill does. He's doing what what he does best and still doing it. But for a lot of people, the challenge of I've just been let go in my job or. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of doing what I'm doing. How do I reinvent myself for the 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever? That's what it's all about. And I wrote the theme song. What's next? Over the hill and round the bend. These golden years will make us great, my friend. I'm not going to take that final bow to show it over no way, no how. We've all been shakers, fakers, money makers, dads or stay-at-home moms. We've been finders, keepers, losers, weepers, creatures of dot com. Each time I start to whine about the wrinkled state I'm in, I step it up, suck in my gut and grab a second win. What's next? So it's a song about, about what do I do with my life? And so I'm I'm interviewing people. I'm going to go to after after we do your show. I'm going to go out to Times Square and find people in their 60s and do Man on the Street. I'm going to walk up. Really? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And uh, just like you were in '63, smiling at strangers. Yes, I'm going to say, You're "What are you doing with your circle. life?" You know. That John Davidson episode, we, we we keep talking about it, but it's it's worth talking about. It was worth the wait, Gil. Yeah, he was putting up the biggest fight. Yeah. And when he finally agreed to do it, he totally agreed. He was brave. He was open. He was funny. He was sarcastic. Everything you really want a guest to uh, to bring to the show. And we should have John back. Yes. yes. I bet he's. I bet he wouldn't put us off for seven years now. <laughs> Maybe six. So we uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this. This was a thrill for us to do and we have to thank John Murray who who came up with this idea and said to me what about a musical montage episode what about a a greatest hits collection of musical moments and you forget you know we've done so many of these Gil almost 350 now we forget how many musicians we forget all the people who've passed through those doors yes it's there are people who we've had who I swear we've never had on the show I know like Dick Van Dyke (laughs) Yes, who's, yes. Who's, get, who's getting an honor? He's going to get an honor from the Kennedy Center. Yes. We should we should mention long overdue. So let's thank some people in addition to the great Murray, 
who made this uh, episode possible. I want to thank uh, also Frank Verderosa, who engineered, uh, who recorded and engineered and uh, edited these original episodes. Um, we want to thank, too, the people who brought us these great talents, helped us book them, Barry Doherty, Norman Steinberg, uh, Robert Cotto, our friend Jackie Martling, who brought us Mark Hudson and Tommy James. Oh. And Jackie's been a godsend helping us book this show. Uh, the person uh, Gilbert loves to give credit to, Gino Salomone. <laughs> Who booked uh, Dennis DeYoung? Uh, I already mentioned Ryan Romanesco and and Michael Jensen. And like I always say, it takes a village to make this show. Great musical memories. We had fun doing every one of them. What can I say? More to come. Okay, and I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast, Musical Moments with my co-hosts, Frank Santo Padre, and this is Musical Moments. Does Gilbert, do you sing? Do you sing? Yeah. It doesn't stop me. You are my sunshine, sunshine my, my only sunshine. sunshine. You make me happy, you make me happy when skies are gray. Good, I chose the right key. That's yes. right, in your key. <laughs> yes, it's an yes. key. <laughs> You'll... Oh, we you'll got never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Are we still on? Are we, it's a parking lot now, right? It's we over. stopped recording 25 minutes ago. Oh, okay.